When I became Poet Laureate, one of my just goals or missions was I'm going to give voice to every person that I can come across who does not have a voice. And so I feel like that's what this process is too. Hi, this is Stephanie Fowler. And this is Tony Russo. And you're listening to another episode of So What's Your Story? A podcast in which we talk to authors and writers about their writing, the stories behind the story, the writing process, and any other sort of miscellaneous writing stuff that we want to talk about. Today on the podcast, we have author and poet Christine Lincoln. Upon graduation at Washington College in 2000, she won the Sophie Kerr Prize, which is the largest undergraduate literary award in the country, and she won it for a collection of fictional short stories about an African-American community called Granville. Since then, she has pursued her writing career and is now Poet Laureate Emeritus of York, Pennsylvania. So welcome to the podcast, Christine. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here. Welcome. Well, it is so good for me to have you here. Um, I guess a little inside baseball. You won the Sophie Kerr Prize the year before me for a collection of short stories. And I actually told uh, Christine this story when we had lunch earlier today, and that was when Christine won the Sophie Kerr Prize with an exceptional collection of short stories. Um, she got to meet Oprah. She was on the Oprah Winfrey show. And so my senior year, everyone's like, everyone knows about us because Christine broke the ceiling, right? Like, like Oprah knows about us and everybody. And I remember when I won, my mother was like, you're going to meet Oprah. And I was like, no, mom, I'm, I'm, I'm not meeting Oprah. So, <laughs> so I got to share that story with Christine, but I'm delighted to have you here to talk about writing. Absolutely. Yes. Um, and so we would talked a little bit earlier and you, you are now that you were the poet laureate for York, Pennsylvania. Yeah. For about, uh, I think three, four years now. Um, I just recently relinquished the position, but, um, I, so I started off with fiction and then kind of morphed into poetry and became the poet laureate and used the poetry and the writing, the fiction writing, to um, like reach the community, the disenfranchised people in the community. So I'm really more like a, an activist writer kind of thing. Wonderful. Yeah. And so I don't have any idea how this occurs. Is the poet laureate, is that... Um, an appointed position? Is mm -hmm. it something that you, like, how did they How did they find you? How did they know that you did poetry? And then how did they ask you to be the poet? Okay. Well, they, they, there was a, a city announcement that they were in need of someone to fill the position. They already had someone there. So typically it's a two-year appointment. Uh -huh. And then you can apply. And I was a fiction writer. I never saw myself as a poet. And so, mm -hmm. But it's open to any type of writer, prose, um, poetry. Uh, so creative nonfiction. So I just said on a whim, like my best friend basically said, dared me to do it. Mm. And I was always the kind of person like, you just cannot dare me to do something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do it. So I did not thinking that I was going to get right. chosen at all. And then it's a whole process of interviews and you have to, to teach a, a poetry and you have to um, do an impromptu poem because a lot of it is commission work and so they have to be sure that you're able to do that and the next thing i knew i was chosen and <laughs> here it is that well that's that was the other thing that i was going to ask you because that's 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 not one of the one of the things that we i think forget about poetry is that it's a real thing it's not like if you if you you lots of people write poetry when they feel like it but mm -hmm. when you're 
you know, when you're an actual poet, that's what you do. Like, right. It's not like, well, I'll wait until I get inspired. It's like, no, just like anybody else, I have a deadline. I have to find a way to take this idea right. and make it accessible. Was it intimidating at all when you started? Oh, very much so. Because I did not think that I would be able to to do that, to to sit down and write a poem that's due in two days or two weeks or whatever, and it have to be exactly what that person or that organization or that community needed to hear. Um, I have never worked that way, but this is what I know about writing. If you just really show up to that process, it will honor you. It honors you showing up. And I, I knew that from being a fiction writer. And I would sit down and write my fiction whether I felt like, you know, this, whether you feel like writing fiction or not, I'm, I'm still going to show up and write something every single day or every other day or whatever my process is. And so I just kind of... As intimidated and terrified as I was, I trust I trust that process now more than I trust myself, I guess is, yeah. Well, because there is that, so my experience is uh, you're writing and you know that it's bad. And you're like, if you stay here, it'll get good. If yep. you give up, it won't get any better. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> yes. I'm going to remind myself of that next week. <laughs> Just stay here. It won't get better. Yes, that's right. And that whole like revision process and, and revisiting something and crafting something because it it's not just when the muse or the lightning strikes and you have something and that though I do I have had moments like that but it's a craft yeah and it is learning how to use those words and those sounds and I use sound a lot in my fiction too I read all of my fiction out loud as if I am listening for the musicality of it and so all of that it's about craft it's about working it so that I can create the emotional experience that that reader needs to have yeah, yeah and I think that's one thing that really resonates in the work that you do is that the voice voice that you have and the voice that you give these fictional characters remember we were talking at lunch mm. and you were saying that you're talking about the next book that you're working on you're like i hear her in my head and i thought well that's christine lincoln's style like you have such a voice it is no surprise to me that your characters have such a strong voice that i i, I just feel like that's that has got to be innate to who you are as a writer yeah i think so i think it's yeah, because we each have our own way of how this comes to us. It's it's really phenomenal when you think about it. I mean, it's it's not a formula. Each person is so individual, and the way that we are made and the way that we experience the world and see the world is the way that this craft, this art, just will come to us individually. And so most of my characters, that is one of the first things that I hear them first. Mm. And then I'll see them. It's almost like they're trying to get my attention. And so I have to get quiet and I have to listen. And then they'll show themselves to me, their face to me. I don't usually see them right away. And then I feel like I am developing enough trust with them that they'll share their story. That's interesting, that notion of trust with someone you've made up. Right. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know? And I don't mean that. I don't mean that in a, I don't mean that to be a joke. I mean, no, that really absolutely. is an interesting, like, well, you do. Well, we often talk about how the characters, we, we talked about this a couple of shows ago. It's, it's not so much that the characters have a life of their own as it is a character has like a need. And they have to, so to just anthropomorphize eyes a little bit, they have to know that you're going to stay true. Wow. Like they're only going to do what they're going to do. Yeah. And I guess for you, once your character is fully formed enough in your head that 
it knows that you're gonna that it's gonna be able to do what it wants. Yep. That's when that's when you're comfortable writing. Yes, that's exactly right. Yes. That's good. I like that too. Every, <laughs> yeah. every character has a need. Yeah, and I think when we were, if you if you wouldn't mind, you're you're working on a book now, and it certainly when Tony was saying that, I was like, well, that's exactly yeah. kind of kind of pins in with your your new work. Your new work. My character is white. I'm African American. She is growing up in the Blue Ridge Mountains, and she grows up during the time when Black Elk, who is Native American, he's a a holy man, very powerful holy man. He dies, and she finds out through the radio actually um, about his death and believes that, and her mother has just recently died, and she believes that if she can get to his grave, that she'll have the power to be able to raise her mother from the dead. But the story is not yet formed, but what is formed is that her voice was the very first thing that came to me. I saw her, I saw her, heard her standing on the front porch of her home, and there was some turkeys in the road, and she saw their presence as a sign and the voice was so compelling and so strong that it just caught my attention and instantly I'm saying to myself who are you who is this girl and I mean she it, it was her voice is so powerful and so I just started showing up for her asking those questions who are you and that's when I found out about her mother had died and and that she thinks that she can raise her mother from the dead and so yes. <laughs> well, it's also a very meta story too, isn't it? Now, because oh, yeah. now you're you're compelled by by a notion in the way that the character is compelled by a mm-hmm. notion. That's I think right. That's, I think that's wonderful. Yeah, we both yeah. are like embarking on this journey. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So that moment where you hear this voice what is that like for you because i don't hear because as a non-fiction writer oh yes my stories are already told so my job is the way that i see my job as a creative non-fiction person the story's already there i have to go through and figure out how to tell the story in a way that i would want to hear it and to try to do it that way so my my people are already there i don't get to invent them i don't get to necessarily i try to get in their heads to some degree but i'm fascinated by this sense that you're just kind of like chopping some carrots or you know (laughs) like driving along the road and then you hear this voice like Mm -hmm. what is what is that for you I don't even know anywhere. I I used to believe that, really I did used to believe that something was kind of wrong with me, you know, because it's bizarre and a little bit strange. And when I was at Washington College and I was writing Sap Rising and giving myself fully to that process, um, I remember some of the students, fellow students would say to me, well, why don't you just make her do this? Or why don't you just make her do that? And I would be like, just, are you kidding me? She would never, she would never do that. And they would, they, you know, they were just these real, they feel very real to me, these mm. characters. And I really feel, I, there's a part of me that sometimes wonder if we don't tap into something supernatural when we are writing. And perhaps this person existed or exists somewhere. And maybe I am just um, making myself willing enough to to hear their stories. When I became poet laureate, one of my just goals or missions was I am going to give voice to every person that I can come across who does not have a voice. And so I feel like that's what this process is too. Maybe these people are coming to me because I know, you know, she's in a Southern Baptist family. She's 
poor white girl growing up in the Blue Ridge Mountains during the 1950s, I know she did not have a voice. Right. And so for whatever reason, I feel like she chose me to be the one to give it to her. <laughs> <laughs> she couldn't have picked better, I'll say that. You, you, wanna, you landed on her, girl. <laughs> The, the way that I, I, the way I, to characterize what Stephanie was talking about is, for me, it's always about the theme, and this is where I kind of connect with you a little bit. It's so I'm, I'm a nonfiction writer, but I'm not. I'm looking to see what is kind of really going on, and once once I find the theme to the thing, the rest of it, the rest of it just kind of happens. Mm. And so when you're trying to give voice to these um when you when you're trying to let's say help um help your characters find their voice you have to be open to what their core is like what is you have to know their problem and their solution and Mm. as you think about that that's how their voice comes to you does that does that sound yeah it's interesting because i have one idea now because this character has come to me i've heard her voice i know how strong it is i've seen a little bit now and i seen a little bit of the house and things are starting to unfold for me um so i have an idea of what is going on with her to Mm. lose your mother to believe that you have the power to raise the dead um just all of these kinds of things going on um but so i'm going to impose that in order to start this process but at some point that will change as I learn more and as I see other characters and other interactions and as I get deeper into, like you said, what is actually the core of what's driving this character, all of that is subject to change. And things are going, and just as the character leaves her life not knowing what's going to happen, like things are going to happen that neither of you can foresee. And you have to react to those things oh, as yeah. they occur. Oh, yeah. And, and I teach my writing classes that way. I remember, I'll never forget, this woman um, was writing a short story. I had them write a short story. And I always tried to tell them, look, allow your characters enough space to surprise you with something. Because it'll be truth. Mm. It may not even be a factual, but it'll be truth. And... Um, this one woman was writing a short story about based on her sister-in-law. And in the middle of the story, she, the sister-in-law went into the laundry room, reached behind the, the dryer and pulled out a, a, a bottle of alcohol and drank it and was, um, was declaring herself at that moment to be an al- a hidden secretive alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And she said when she wrote that scene, something in her knew this is true, my, my sister-in-law is an alcoholic. And they had a conversation after that story and the sister-in-law did admit that yes, she, she was. And so she was like, well, how did I come to know that? Well, that truth is in you. That truth was in you. And you just allowed these characters to, because like you said, we are both going on this journey. Right. Yeah. You've just allowed this character to allow you the freedom and the space to explore what you already know to be true about the dynamics of your family, your community, yourself. Well, I think that if we want to do our job as writers... You know, it's it's more than a full time job for those very reasons because you're collecting these things, and you're going to use them later, and you don't know 
sometimes you don't know you're going to use them later, and sometimes you do. I had a, I had a gentleman say to me during an interview once, um, he was talking about something that he discovered about himself. And he's like, and I carried that around like a secret. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to steal that from you. Wow. Because like, he said it in his real life. But I'm like, so that is, now I don't know when I'm going to use it. I don't know if I'm going to use it. But just these little things we pick up and then everything I know about him is going to infuse whatever, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. whenever I use that, it's going to come out and it's going to have to be part of it. So mm-hmm. like she knows something's off with her sister-in-law. She, she notices as a writer, like in, in the subconscious where like, okay, here are some things that this person does. And then when she sits down to think about it, she's like, Hmm, who else does things yes. like that? <laughs> yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. Well, let me ask you Stephanie, because when you said about, being the, the, do you ever do you feel as if because you still have characters? I mean, these are people. Do you mm-hmm. feel as if you are tapping into their voice or giving voice to their story? Or I feel like that's my job um, because a lot of what I do is is nonfiction. So these so the stories that I'm writing are real stories. That's just sort of what I'm drawn to. I'm really awful at fiction. Um, so, and I always sort of find that like, like life is stranger than fiction. Mm. So I, I love to find those like super weird, odd, sort of compelling stories. And then I sort of am drawn to that to retell it. So the, my characters, and I just use mm. air quotes, are real people. And the way that I approach storytelling is I don't want to tell it like a newspaper. I don't want it to be like... I don't want to tell stories as though someone would read them in a newspaper. I would rather it be like you and I are sitting down next to a fireplace or you and I are sitting over Thanksgiving dinner and I'm going to tell you this story. And so that to me is how I want to approach it. So when I have these real people who become characters, I feel like it's my job to say, okay, this person is like you just said, she was born in the fifties and she's poor and she's, you know, white and she's got all these sort of elements let me put myself in that position as much as possible and try to envision what were they thinking? What were they seeing? Mm. Even to the point of, uh, you know, if, if I'm writing a story about 1940, I'll listen to 1940s music. You know, I, I try to figure out what would have been the things that they would have looked at, seen, smelled, heard, and then try to imagine how that would make them feel. Because really what I want to get to at the end of the day is how does that character feel because for me, if I read a story and I don't feel some way about it, then what was the point of it? Yeah. I think we have, and this, I feel like that's my job as a writer is to convey a feeling. And so in that sense, the characters, I try to get as authentic as possible. And I know that I fall short. I think most all writers would argue that mm-hmm. we fall short at some point, <laughs> but I try as best I can to say, okay, let me put myself in this person's shoes and how would they have felt? What would they have seen? How would they have approached this? Even though I may know that the facts of the case are A, B, and C, how are they feeling when A, B, and C happened? And so as a creative nonfiction person, that's sort of the, that's sort of my take on mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. I think. But That's good. Yeah, I, but I, I just feel like, and that's, I think, one of the things that I've always liked about your writing is that y- and I think that's something that is true about writers. We're sort of on the outside, but our characters are very much on the inside. So we have to kind of stay out here, pick up all these things. Like Tony is saying, we, we pick up all these experiences in our lives as authors and we're going to, and we it's sort of like 
kind of osmosis into our characters and so then they in their living it's sort of kind of extensions of us and i've always sort of felt like that with you is that when i'm reading your work i feel like i'm definitely getting bits of christine in here oh for sure yeah yeah and even and even i'm sure in ways that i don't even know or can recognize or name but yes well so what's what's interesting about like uh, kind of a difference between us and I would and I would like to see here your take on it is I always want to know what do they have to teach me mm. like I, I I my my when I'm looking for the theme I'm like so what what am I going to learn from you and this is a real life person but it must be the same with with your fictional characters as they start to talk you're like I mean what draws you to them is like well, you must have something to tell me mm-hmm. yeah yes oh yes I, I, I do I feel like um, and and I feel like it's something extremely important. It's not just like a little thing, like oh, my mom died when I was, you know, whatever. But that it's something that I need to know. And not just me, but like whoever reads this book, it's something that we need to know in order to live better. That really is how I feel. Like they're here to tell me something that I don't know about humanity. That's going to make me, hopefully, you know, be a better mother or be right, a better, yeah. you know, the sister, lover, whatever. Yes. And I wonder if if your character could read the book, because this is something that I've experienced myself. Um, people will, will say to me, I didn't, I think that, but I didn't know I thought it until I heard you say that I thought it. Yes. And I wonder if your characters would feel the same way, like if it's like a like a mutual exploration. Oh, wow, Tony. Ooh, Tony. <laughs> You're making me think. <laughs> You're yeah. making me think about my character in a completely new way, too, because they are so inside of me. They're, like you said, they're so internal right. that I hardly ever ever think of them as being external until it's the finished product. But to think of them at, like I'm, I'm seeing this character now, and I don't even know her name yet, but to think of her sitting down at the end of this exploration and looking back in terms of what this process has done for her, like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, and I think that, I think that good characters come that way. Like good characters the reason good characters are good characters are because they seem real, because mm-hmm. they are predictable where they should be and unpredictable where you don't think that they would be. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yes. And I mean, if, if any, every single book that has been my favorite book, it is my favorite book because of a particular character who just like to this day, I cannot shake. I will never be able to get, and I'm, it's cliche to say, but Scout, like I will never... She is just the most amazing character that was ever written, in, in, in my opinion, um, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Like, I love that character for those reasons. Like, she was me as a little girl, but, but not. Well, and also the genius of that book is that um, Harper Lee is able to keep Scout naive throughout the whole beginning part of the book. Like, you know that she doesn't know what she's right. talking about and that she doesn't know that she doesn't know what she's and talking yet, about. And yeah, the the narrator is a grown woman. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, it's how do you do that. So it's 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 as well drawn. You're it's not wrong. It's brilliant. as well drawn a character as has been, it's I think. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. If you're gonna hit a ball, I mean knock it out of the park, <laughs> right? right? And you never have to write anything <laughs> yeah. other than like, like and I'm done. Right. You know? yeah. Props Mike. <laughs> yeah. 
So yeah. when you go, when you approach fiction, I know that when you were watching in college, you were working on your book, which became Sap Rising. And now you're working on um, the book about Black Elk and, and this lady. When you sit down to approach fiction, the process, how do you kind of, how do you kind of push through? Because I know for me, when I sit down to write fiction, which is why I don't do it, I go, well, I don't know what happens. I don't know. That's one of the comforts for me about nonfiction is I know what happens. I just have to arrange it in a way that is the way that I would want to tell a story. So, I mean, I'm just sort of, how do you, how do you kind of move, move through that, that moment? It's interesting because well, with, especially with a longer piece of fiction, um, there comes a moment where you start out and you know where you're going. You're on this journey, you know, trekking through the woods and you got your little backpack on and you're excited. And then at some point in this process, you are going to get lost. And that is the most terrifying feeling. I mean, humanly, that's a terrifying feeling. Like people are afraid to get lost today. And how can you get lost today? We have GPS. We have, we have, like, yeah. we have everything. It's not the wild, wild west out anymore, right? <laughs> no, and I still know people are like, well, I might get lost. Well, I don't think you're going to get lost. But that's You'll get fear, found. Right? You'll yeah. get found. You're not going to you die. Yeah. You're not, <laughs> you can get down here. <laughs> but that notion of being lost. And so... That is built into the process of writing a novel. You will get lost. You will be so confused and it will be such a tangled mess. You won't feel as if you're going to be able to find your way out. But if you know going in, like this is how you're supposed to feel, then you can just hopefully give yourself to it and then push through to the other side. When you were talking before, I almost said this and then I didn't because I thought it would sound too precious, but now I'm gonna have to. Well, you, were, you were talking about your character finding her way before, and I thought of writing as like you you take up a path, and you're walking along the path, and you're like, oh, that's interesting, and then you leave the path. Mm-hmm. But eventually, you have to find your way back because the path is already kind of there, right? And you can, and sometimes you can say, oh, this was cool. I'll take this back to the path with me. But sometimes you're like, well, this is useless, and now i got to find my way back to the path. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I, I, that's that's a fantastic analogy that, is, that you, you put perfect. it in my head. That is yeah. the per- that's it. That yeah. is exactly what happens, Tony. And, and all I know is I want Christine's backpack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever she's putting in there, I want to pick up. That's what I know. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yes. And then with the shorter pieces, I have been doing a lot of um, short stories lately, and I have a collection of short stories in between the 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 two novels Sat Rising is a novel written in story and then this one um, but the short pieces uh, they just they come fully realized and and I it's it's more um, in the the revision process and the crafting process of mm. like cleaning everything up and polishing everything up but I think they come fully realized again because like I've been doing this for. 21 years and so I've put in the work you know what I mean of showing up every day and 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 taking classes or studying and learning different things and trying and explore. I do a lot of my shorter fiction is more experimental like I I mess with time and space and uh, different narrations and interweaving different things and so um, yeah it's just it's just honoring that process learning my craft and then putting those two together and and letting what happens happens. And it sounds like kind of what I'm hearing from what you're saying is like, you know, the rules and therefore you know how to break them. That's right. And I think that 
really good writing comes from that. I remember at Washington College, I had Bob Day, and I remember I took creative nonfiction with him, and I remember him saying that um, we were talking about timeline and, and that linear time is your friend, but it's a very boring mm. friend, you know? And I, when you were talking about playing with time and space and all that, I, it kind of made me think, of course, you know, Washington college grads here, yeah. you know, yeah. I remember thinking that I remember kind of going back. Cause I do go back to that in my head. Like you can tell a story like this happened and this happened and this happened. And that's, you won't ever get lost. That path mm. has like no trees, right. you know, it's like, it's just a road in Nebraska, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's just like straight there it goes, you know? And that's, and you won't get lost. And that's a very, and it's certainly one way to not get in trouble, but it's a very boring path to take. No offense to Nebraska, you know, but it sounds they don't like have the internet in Nebraska. <laughs> then they won't care. They won't care. But it sounds like for me that what you have done over this time is that you've learned the rules to how to break them mm-hmm. in a way that suits the characters that you're trying to put yes. forward. And I, and it's connected to theme. So I will break the rules, not just for, and I'll say this to younger writers, I'm not just breaking the rules just to be a rebellion and break the rules. I'm breaking the rules if they fit this character and if they fit the theme or whatever, because by the time I get to the end of the story, I know what the theme is. And right. so the, the rules that are broken, they fit whatever it is that this character is trying to say. It's not gratuitous. Well, the only real rule is serve the story and yes. don't be lazy. Yeah. When you yes. Breaking the rules is only lazy when it doesn't serve, when, when you don't want to do the work that's required to serve the story yes. and you want to try to take a shortcut. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Or, or just be cute. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that, you no see, I, that. I see that often. Actually, I catch myself doing it often too. It's like, well, look at me, right. Right. As, as, soon as, I, as soon as I have that thought, I'm like, okay, Time to stop. What you just wrote, you have to delete in case you die right now. You don't want anyone to see this. this as soon as you hear, look at me right, you're like, okay, I'm done. Start again. You're gone. You're gone my off. first, very first creative writing class, Bob Mooney at Washington College. Yes. First thing he says to me is, to us as a class was, okay, um, the very first thing that you have to do when you want to be a writer is you come in front of this page and you basically annihilate yourself. You kill the ego. Because if you don't kill the ego, then that is what will be doing the writing. And, and no. it's not good. That's why it's not that's good. why so much of my writing is not really good. Because <laughs> I got that, stuff to say and you're gonna hear it. <laughs> whether we want to or not. <laughs> whether you <laughs> want to or not. That's why podcasts are so much easier. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have to live with them. See this podcast would probably go so much quicker if it was just two people, but no, we wait for Tony. <laughs> It would be 12 minutes without me. Now it's 35. <laughs> Luckily, we yeah, we need those extra minutes. But but one of the things I wanted to kind of circle back to was um, this sense of, um, you know, you were saying, like, I'm not breaking the rules just to be rebellious. There is a real purpose. And I think your purpose is voice, you know, voice for the disenfranchised, voice for these sort of supernatural moments that, you know, are kind of coming through you. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's a really important point for writers, especially young writers, is that it isn't just, oh, I'm just going to be, I'm going to be, you know, hipster and cool and, and break the rules here. But, but really your purpose in doing so is to really sort of kind of, to kind of grab us. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, the, the idea of, I mean, cause we're so used to seeing a story being a certain type of thing and a novel being a certain type of thing. And so you, you know, the, the readers bring in all of this preconceived, there's all of these experiences that they've already had with the literature into this process. And so 
um, I want to like get past what they think that they already know right. and are bringing into this and like shake things up and say, no, this is not going to give you what you think you're going to get. That way they have a new revelation, not just about what they've just read, but hopefully, which is the ultimate goal for me is about themselves and the life that they're living. Yeah. And also when you catch, when you can teach someone to beware of reading, but not being engaged. Mm, right yes. like if you if you're not paying attention you're gonna get halfway through this and say oh wait, wait what did i mean oh yeah like because i thought this was gonna go one way and now it didn't go this way i must have missed something because yes. i wasn't engaged and so making the reader participate is i mean all the books that we love to read are those and i don't mean in the genre way page turners i just mean in the way that you can't escape them like they demand your attention yes. and what demands your attention is the unexpected and it's not it's not the linear. It's the pay attention to what we're doing because we're doing something cool here. And if you stick around the whole time, you'll find out what it is. Absolutely right. I've had people come to me all the time and say, I, I don't know what happened. I don't understand <laughs> what, what just took place there. And and I'm glad, I'm happy with that. If you, you know that, that means that there was, like you said, a level of intention and a, engagement that was required of you that for whatever reason at that moment, you couldn't give it, but maybe you'll want to go back because you want to know, you're now wanting to know, what did I just read? What, what just happened here? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's interesting too, because from one writer reading if you're a writer reading the work of someone that you know is a really good writer two things are happening one you're enjoying the story but number two you're enjoying the craft of that story and i think that's one thing that i've i've i felt was sap rising was not only was i reading a good story sort of well, a novel with the short stories in, in there um but i was reading an author who understood the craft and so i was sort of you're sort of reading on two levels yeah. almost you know yeah it's funny too because i learned that was one of the best things that i learned at washington college too was um not just to read as a reader but to read as a writer and so after that like every time i read anything i'm always looking to see well how in the world did they do yeah. that you know yes, yes. Yes. What happened to you to make it occur to you to try this? Yes, yeah. exactly. Yes. yes. Yeah. It's, it's always it's always a pleasure when you when you see something happening and you're like that is very well done. Yes, and I'm going to yeah. try that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I'm going to steal it. Yes, and hopefully no one will catch me. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, sleight of hand. That's I'm a magician. Yeah, yeah, there was um there was a book I I read recently um the Magpie Murders by Anthony Horowitz, mm. and it's. A play, you know, the old Shakespeare, a play within a play. So this was a guy who wrote a book about a guy who wrote a book with a book inside of it. And I thought, holy smokes. I went, and, and of course the book is like this big. Uh, if you if you get a chance to read The Magpie Murders, it was, it was brilliant. But I was like, the whole way through, I'm like, how in the world did he keep track of, it was literally a book and a book and a book. It was like, it was like Russian nesting oh, dolls wow. of a book. And I thought, this is brilliant, uh, and I have no idea the amount of um, what it would have taken to, to do that. Right. And I remember thinking as a writer, like, well, that was stunning. You know, that was like watching somebody run a marathon from, right. from the point go. So, yeah, it's it's really awesome when you, you, as a writer, you come across a book and you're like, well, that that was just a stunning, stunning feat. Oh, gosh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I love those moments. Yes. yes. 
All right, now, Stephanie, this is the part of the show where you thank the guest. Well, Christine, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was an absolute joy to talk to you. Oh, thank you. So What's Your Story was produced by Saltwater Media, an indie book publisher in Berlin, Maryland. Visit us at sowhatsyourstorypodcast.com where you can find past episodes, guest bios, show notes, and all sorts of fun stuff. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Radio Public, and Stitcher Radio. And if you like it, then feel free to give us a good review. Tell your story.